Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome back. I am your host Tia Hama and today I am joined by Laura Barker, career coach and human resources professional. In today's episode we are talking about how to be more effective in your job hunt. So let's get started. Hi Laura, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Where are you joining us from? I am joining you from Canada, from Toronto. Oh, so nice. Is it like freezing cold over there at the moment? You know what? We got a ton of snow over the weekend and it's about six or eight degrees today. So everything is melting. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That is freezing. Well, it is for us. We don't get snow here. So, (laughs) Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. So your profession is quite multifaceted, as I've read. So for those who don't know you, do you mind explaining a bit about who you are and what it is you do? Sure. So I'm a career coach and uh, I came to it through human resources. Uh, I've done human resources for over 20 years and I loved it, but I could feel that I was reaching the end of the line. And even though I loved it, I wasn't getting what I wanted from it anymore. Yeah. So what I did was around the time I turned 40, I went into project management thinking, what are my favorite parts of HR? And I said, I love doing projects. And I did that and nope, that wasn't it either. (laughs) (laughs) What I realized is it satisfied aspects of my life, but not all of me. And at one point someone said to me, "Uh, you would be a great coach. And cool. it was like it suddenly clicked yeah. and everything fell into place really quickly. I quit my project management job. I started my coaching studies. I took another HR job just before the pandemic. So I started the fall before the pandemic. Oh, wow. I told them at the outset, listen, my long-term goal is, is coaching. So I'm not here forever. Are you still okay with that? And they said, sure. So I went into that HR job and it was in the pandemic, which was a huge learning experience for everybody. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Thinking about it with the other side. uh, And I quit last year to do coaching full time. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. So for those who are a little confused, do you mind explaining exactly what human resources is? Mm -hmm. So human resources is a function you'll find in every, every business every type of organization it's it's the function of taking care of people yeah um and the term is changing over time for me human resources is still it's the terminology i grew up with and i've used for most of my career um some of the terms you might hear for human resources this day these days are talent and culture or people and culture um these are some of the other uh words that we're using now to describe the same function which yeah. years ago was called personnel 
uh, before became uh, even human right. resources. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, thank you for answering that. So we're going to get into some get to know the guest questions now. So this is where I'm going to ask Laura some more personal questions that aren't related to the topic. So let's talk about books. Um, are you a big reader? Do you like, some people don't like reading, like are you Kindle person, book person? Yes, I am an avid reader. In my whole life, I read Ooh. fiction until I yeah. started studying coaching, and then it was nonfiction. <laughs> yeah, um, which I love. I love because I'm because I'm drawn to the subject matter. It makes it easy to do. But my whole life, I was a fiction reader, and I could Ooh. not understand why people would read nonfiction um, voluntarily. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you there totally. <laughs> oh, cool. So, do you yeah. have any recommendations for us? Yeah, in terms of uh, books that I've read in the last few months that I recommend, one that's just a heartwarming read is called The Authenticity Project. Okay. Have you read it? No. Oh, it's just, it's a touching, sweet book. Um, lots of characters in it. It takes place in London. Um, there's an Australian character in it. Oh, uh, <laughs> from Perth. Um, it's oh, awesome. just a lovely, it's just a lovely book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, for fiction, so I'd recommend that. Um, yeah. the, another one is Louise Penny. She's a mystery writer. She's Canadian. Um, and she's written, I think, 19 books. Uh -huh. uh, and she's got, don't quote me on the number. I might have that wrong. Um, but she, I think it's 19. And she has a TV show on Amazon Prime now called Three, Three, Three Pines. Mm. So those are some nonfiction, uh, some fiction that I'd recommend uh, to read. Yeah. Oh, Awesome. All right, so let's go into movies now. I am a big movie buff. This is like my favorite well, question. So I love oh. finding out what people watch, what they recommend. Are you a movie person or like a TV person? I do both. Okay. Uh, just on the weekend, I watched everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh my um, gosh, yeah. Did you see it? I have not seen it, but my last guest brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, she was like, I can't believe gosh. you haven't seen this. Like, you have to watch it. And I was like, I am I will get there. Like, I yeah. will get there. Yeah. I, I don't want to tell you the plot because I went into it not knowing anything. And I almost think that's better okay. to not know what to expect. It was amazing. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. All right. I'll take your yeah. word for it. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Do you have any other recommendations or do you have like a favorite genre or... Um, in terms of TV shows, I watch a lot of like murder mystery shows, like thrillers. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a show called Dark, a German show called Dark, which was terrific. Oh. But you know, th that's the kind of stuff. I when I just want to relax and not think too hard, um, watching such <laughs> a like murder mystery is so the much irony. fun. I do not yeah, find that kind of thing relaxing, like at all. I'm like, really, I love hearing <laughs> character. Like, what yeah. motivates people? behave in a certain manner yeah i'm always driven to those types of stories that's so great oh i love that all right so my next question um is who is your famous role model if you have one so you know not everyone okay. has a famous role model so you that is a perfectly fine answer as well yeah gosh there's so many people that i admire but the big one really who's had such an influence over the last 20 30 years is oprah Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, she's huge. She's huge. Yeah. And uh, you cannot underestimate the impact she's had in opening us up to discussions that people never used to have. 
Yeah. Um, the things that we take for granted these days that that people talk about more openly, she was starting to talk about it um, for the first time when mm. she started doing that show, I think yeah. back in the 80s. My goodness. Yeah, she's amazing. Like, I love her. I like grow up watching her because my mom loves her too. And so I'm just yeah. like, oh, I love her. She's so amazing. Like she's such an integral part to like so many women. It's just like so yes. great. I love yes. it. All right. So next question is related to podcasts. Do okay. you do you listen to podcasts, first of all? All the time. Yes. Amazing. Okay. Yeah, all right. Listen, so what are some of your favorites? Yeah. I like to listen to them when I go for walks. Yeah. Um, so some of the ones I like, there's a, um, an American woman named Mel Robbins. Um, she's really good. Really good. Okay. I was listening to one of her today. Uh, she was interviewing the holistic psychologist. I don't know if you have heard of her, right. um, but you can find her on Instagram if you're interested. Uh, anyway, so Mel Robbins, I recommend. Um, I like people like Gabby Bernstein. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And what kind uh, of like genre is that? Like what kind of conversations sure. do they have? So the stuff that I'm drawn to are, are when I'm listening and going on walks or things around spirituality yeah. uh, or psychology. Um, cool. I like those things around personal growth, psychology, spirituality. Those are the types of topics that draw me in. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I love that. Yeah, I love podcasts. I'm like more of a... I love like conversational and just like really relaxed, just like funny podcasts. I think it's because like mm -hmm. I'm on cool. podcasts. Yeah. Like I host. Because <laughs> I host like... Sorry? Do you like Smartless? I know. I haven't I haven't heard it. Oh. Okay, so it's three guys, uh Jason okay. Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. Okay. And they are so funny, um, and so light. Each each episode, there's they bring in a famous guest, but yeah. the other two don't know who it is. So there's no <laughs> researching, no preparation. These guys oh, are just shooting this. the breeze, having conversations with. I feel uh, like I've heard this. Person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's. Did you say it's called Smartless? Smartless. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Totally gonna listen to that. That sounds so good. All right. Awesome. And my final question um, is related to courses. Um, what is a mm -hmm. course you have completed recently? Oh, um, what is like your most recent? Like it doesn't have to be like in the last couple of months. Yeah, gosh, I, I do. I do little things all the time, little courses all the time. But then the last big thing was my my, my coaching certification, yeah. doing my okay. courses and when the training to get the certification. Yeah. yeah. When did you do that? So I did my uh, in-person courses in 2019 and I did it really quickly because I, I already knew this as my career goal. Yeah. And thankfully, I finished it right before COVID. So good. So, yeah. um, so the certification process is online anyway, and you're meeting people around the world. So that's done via Zoom. Yeah. Um, and you meet every week for that. So that was done uh, during COVID, as yeah. well as my um, coaching uh, that you have to do hours to get your certification before your exam. Uh, yeah. That was done online as well. Oh, cool. Oh, awesome. Okay. All right. So we're going to get into some more nitty gritty stuff now. So as I already mentioned today, we're talking about job hunting and how personal productivity relates to this. But first, for our listeners, Laura, how would you define personal productivity? My definition is pretty short. Okay, um, hit me with it. It. it is using your time wisely. Amazing. <laughs> That's pretty much, that pretty much sums it up quite nicely. Um, yeah, I'm interested. Do you 
have different sort of conceptions of what productivity looks like for you because I know for some people they're like, um, you know, like sitting down on the couch watching Netflix and relaxing okay. is still considered okay. productive. Are you one of those okay. people or are you like productivity is purely like a work-related thing? So productivity um, I think can get conflated with output. Yeah. Um, I think that to me productivity – what does it mean to be productive? How are you productive? Well, productivity comes from prioritizing. It comes yeah. from taking time to relax and to play. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but you actually need to relax um, in order to allow connections to be made in your mind. Yeah, um, totally. So I totally recommend that for productivity. And then the other one, there's techniques and stuff like the Pomodoro method. I am sure you're familiar with it. Yeah. I use it. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, and those are like tools that you can use to help improve your productivity. Um, yeah. Awesome. So what do you think people get wrong when it comes to personal productivity? I think they conflate productivity with output. Right, I think yeah. that's the real challenge with productivity is that they think unless I have something to show for it, I have wasted, wasted my time. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I think I can definitely see that. And just because of, you know, trends like hustle culture and you've got to be yeah. working all the time and having like a side yeah. hustle and a side job and sort of maximizing yourself. It is about like, like you said, like how you use your time and how okay. you have to use it wisely. But also it's like, you know, that time doesn't always have to be, like you don't always have to be like on the grind as people would say, yeah. like you have to take time yeah. to look after yourself to make sure that you can therefore be productive later okay. when you are sort okay. of working. So let's talk about job hunting because this is something that everyone has done. <laughs> whether yep. or not you wanted to yep. it's something that someone's done you either did it when you were 15 20 45 whatever so <laughs> over the course of your experience how would you define job hunting or searching and what are the elements um, to take into account in that procedure so job hunting in and of itself is more short-term focused yeah. When we talk about job hunting, we're talking about going from one job or situation to another one. Yeah. Um, your career is longer term, um, requires a longer term vision. But job hunting in and of itself is how do I get from A to B? Yeah. Um, and so then the second part of your question was about, can you say that again, Tia? Oh, yeah. What was the second <laughs> so, like, the, yeah. What are the elements that sort of come with that procedure of job hunting? Well, this, the first and basic part is updating your CV. Yeah. Um, keeping it current. And we can, well, I think you will talk a bit more about the CV um, shortly, yeah. but like the CV is the starting point uh, in terms of the application to different jobs. Um, yeah. Then there's different ways to apply for jobs with, through job boards, through networking. Um, so then there's the ways that you do it. And yeah. then move on to the, the actual process of the hiring. So you're, you're a candidate who submitted for a position, you get asked to be, do an interview, and more often than not, or actually most of the time, it's never gonna be one interview, it's multiple interviews with different people, either one-to-one -one or one-to-two or a panel. Yeah. Um, and it's after that point uh, that you get hired. 
Yeah, cool. So when people are searching for a job, do they need to have like a defined career path in mind? Do you think like when people are looking for certain roles, can they just kind of, you know, look for stuff that they're interested in or stuff that is good money? Or do you think that they have to have like a more holistic approach in terms of like, this is my, this is the career path that I want. I have to look for jobs that align with this. So I think what you're getting at is clarifying your why. Yeah. Why am I looking for this next job? Is it simply because I need a paycheck? Which is fair. I, I get it. Maybe because <laughs> yeah, I need more extra amount of money. And I don't really care if this satisfies me or not. But I, I know that I need to earn a certain amount of money or I want a certain status, uh, job title, so that I can move to the next step of the, of the ladder. Yeah. Um, what I do find though, is eventually people may start like that, but eventually they reach a point where it is not enough. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, the money, the status, uh, it, it, people want to know that what they're doing has meaning. Yeah. Um, and Definitely. so in terms of, you know, when you're looking at the next job versus the career, I do think satisfaction comes from knowing who you are. And so instead of thinking about the trouble of looking at just the next job sometimes is that um, we can be short-sighted. You know, if if you're thinking longer term, if you think longer term, you may be, it may be actually acceptable to take a job that isn't at a level that you necessarily want. It may be sideways on a lattice versus climbing a ladder. But it's going to give you broader skills that will serve you down the road, knowing that your career, this is what you're ultimately looking for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can definitely concur with what you said, because especially when you're studying or when you're younger and you're just sort of starting out, you have to sort of take these roles that you're like, okay, this might not be like, this isn't what I want right now, but this is going to help me kind of get there and having that understanding of what you want. But coming up with that sort of definition of kind of what I want my career path to look like can be really stressful for people who are sort of between jobs or not entirely sure what they think their career should look like what advice do you have for people who are trying to sort of like narrow it down Mm -hmm. well I think one thing I say this to I have three kids who are uh, in university right now and and the end of high school Um, so I'm surrounded by young people who are trying to figure out what they're going to do and I, I think I wish someone told me um, don't worry about where you're going to be at 50, at 40. Uh, you're going to have multiple careers in your life. So yeah. don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. You you think about and follow what interests you, where your passions are going now. And, and that's not flaky. That's not flaky to do so. Um, just recognize that you will grow and change. And so th- the career that satisfies you now will likely not satisfy you for your entire life. Yeah. And that's okay because we are meant to grow and evolve. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think those are very comforting words because I think there's that pressure. I don't know, because you choose like what university degree and stuff you want to do when you're 18 years old. Well, at least that's what you do here in Australia. Yeah. And it's like so stressful. And I look back on it and I'm like, 18 year old me did not know anything. (laughs) Like she had no idea what she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. She never had any kind of work experience besides like working at a little clothing store. Like she doesn't, yeah. she doesn't know. Um, but you have this pressure that like you need to have sure. it all figured out like now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think as you get older, only then do you kind of realize like, you know what, it's okay. Like I don't have to mm-hmm. have it figured out right now. I'm just going to make mm-hmm. this path and see how it goes. And it's going to take me to different places, which are usually really cool. So let's talk about um like cvs and resumes and all that kind of stuff because that's very mm-hmm. crucial like to get that mm-hmm. job interview a lot of mm-hmm. the time you have to have that good resume that good cv and you know we mm-hmm. throw around all these different words like portfolio and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and these are essentially like basic representations of ourselves that we give to potential employers and recruiters what do you think are the things that most people get wrong when it comes to CVs and resumes? And what are your tips to ensure that our portfolios are well sounding and efficient? So in my HR career, I've probably looked at thousands of resumes in, um, in my lifetime. And what I'll say is the number one thing people get wrong on their resumes is they focus on their responsibilities and not their achievements. Yeah, right. Okay. Interesting. So so I want people who are applying for jobs to consider me. Imagine I'm I'm the recruiter. I'm looking at um, a few hundred resumes for, for a job opening. Yeah. So I'm spending probably about a minute looking at each resume. So you have one minute, and some people actually say it's seven seconds that people make that judgment call on a resume, but... I will take one minute to read that resume. So when you're spending, when you're telling me your responsibilities and not your achievements, what you're asking me to do is to um, do critical thinking and interpret what those responsibilities mean about how you're going to perform in my company. Yeah. Um, And when I'm meeting something that quickly, I don't have time for that. Realistically speaking, what I'm looking to do is tell me what you've done because past results predict future behavior. Yeah. So what I'm hoping to see is that you're going to, you're going to do, you're going to show that you've done certain things and you can reproduce the same thing at my company. Yeah. So when you say achievements, like, can you explain a little bit more what that means? Because like, when I think of like work achievements, I'm thinking like, promotions or like awards or stuff but can they be things smaller than that oh of course so so i told you i'm in hr and i've done all the parts of hr but i started in my career focusing on compensation benefits in hris so using compensation as an example um if i were to just talk about responsibilities on my resume and i say this as someone who's also done this myself so i really do understand Um, I said, oh, well, I did compensation for five different countries. I helped create compensation structures for Canada, the U.S., Bermuda. This is all factual, and um, this covered my responsibilities. What it doesn't communicate is how well did I do it? Was I able to manage my time properly? Um, Was I effective? 
So a better way to have worded that on a resume would be to say, I calculated um, bonus payouts for over 40 hotels, uh, over 150 calculations per hotel. I did it in 10 days uh, with 95% accuracy. Yeah, right. Okay. Wow. So can okay. you see the difference? Like if, if you're then yeah. reading that, you're like, okay, that's solid. I understand what that means. She could yeah, do that at definitely. my company. Yeah, I can definitely see, yeah, that clarity in understanding what someone could do, their achievements, and you're still, you're still like showing the responsibility aspect of it, but you're yeah. showing kind of like how you did that and your output. In saying that, I think this is probably like one of the biggest problems that I have come across is enlisting those achievements. I worry that like my resume is going to get too long-winded. What kind of length of like resume do you think is the most appropriate? Because like you said, it's like, you know, very, you only have a short amount of time to read this and that kind of thing. Like what kind of length are we looking at here? Two pages. Right. Okay. And what exactly should those two pages look like? Well, um, I know people who are earlier in their career are encouraged to do functional resumes. Do you know what a functional resume is versus no. um, a co-opital? Okay. <laughs> no. All right. So, so let's say just like you, you, you know, you were coming out, you were going to university, you had had the one job and then you're starting to apply for jobs. What, what HR people are sometimes recommend is that you do something called a functional resume, which is where you focus not on your experience because you'd only worked at the one um, clothing store. Instead, what you're doing is you're focusing on your skills. Yeah. Um, so okay. functional resumes are often encouraged for people at early stages of their career. Okay. However, my experience with them is people get very frustrated with them because they're worried there's a lot of filler um, uh, within the resume. So people don't really like them. So I would encourage people to always do chronological resumes. Even if you have one job to report, I would still encourage that you do a chronological resume starting. And I know this sounds obvious, but I had to do this with someone recently. You start with the most recent job and then you work your way backwards. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Okay, (laughs) great. Awesome. Thank you for that. So is there any kind of things where people should be like, oh, I don't really need to put that on my resume. For example, you mentioned jobs and sort of doing that in a chronological order. (laughs) If you had a job maybe for like, you know, six, seven months, you were a gardener or something, should people still list that or should people sort of be like, oh, okay, I should really only list sort of like the big solid jobs that I think look good? Yeah. So that's an interesting question because this comes back to what are you looking for? So if you think about the gardener job, are there any skills associated with it that apply or relate to the job you're applying for? Yeah. Okay. Because if you can translate, most people have transferable skills through their volunteering, through the things that they do just for pleasure. Um, There are transferable skills that can apply in many workplaces. So I would say you can definitely use it if it applies to what you're what you want to do okay yeah otherwise right. i would think... get it yeah right, yep. <laughs> okay that makes great sense thank you so let's talk about sort of college degrees and sort of when you are looking for a job straight out of college all that kind of stuff so there is this common misconception and i don't know i 
I didn't see this as a misconception, but my researcher has told me that this is a misconception. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts because there's this apparent misconception that like your job has to match your like degree, what you qualified in. So what are your thoughts on this when it comes to searching for jobs that directly match your college majors? Like, do you think people coming straight out of college need to be looking for something that directly correlates to what they studied? Well, put it this way, if they can find a job that actually correlates to what they studied in school, more power to them. Right. Okay. I think that's wonderful. I would say that what's more realistic is most people come out of university and um, what have they really learned? It's not so much that they've learned technical, technical skills as they're learning how to think. They're learning yeah. more critical thinking skills. And then what happens when you enter the workplace is people will say to you, but what can you do? Mm. And the thing is, the, the answer is, well, I know how to think. I've got these critical thinking skills that come out of studying X or Y or Z. Um, but I think that if you can find something that does match, I would say go for it. But I rarely find people who can find maybe engineering, maybe engineering. That would be a subject matter where you could find more of a one-to-one relationship. Yeah, okay. Um, but, yeah. but even then, you know, I'm thinking about my last job and we have something. Do you guys have co-ops in Australia or internships? Maybe you might call it that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. internships. Yeah. So, you know, we had in, the last company I worked at was in food manufacturing and we would hire these co-op or internships um, from a local university. And uh, you would think that they'd have to have the same, be studying the same subject matter. But we alternated with each co-op um, from someone who did chemical engineering to someone who had studied chemistry instead. So it goes to show you that even within um, these university students who are doing these internships within their programs, it doesn't have to be a one-to-one relationship. If yeah. it is, great, but most of the time it's not. And that's okay yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> so what advice would you have for college students who are trying to find a job sort of coming straight out of university and they're looking for something in the field, but obviously like they can't find something that is there because a lot of these fields are really like highly oversaturated. For example, if you're studying law, the obviously the ideal situation is you graduate and you go to a firm and you become a trainee and you become a lawyer. But for people who maybe can't get a job in that field, what kind of process would you recommend they go through in terms of finding another job that still utilizes their degree but isn't sort of directly correlated? Well, I mean, law is pretty specific um, yeah. <laughs> in terms of the career path. I, I guess what I'd say is more often than not, we are moving into a society in which um, these really nice, clean career paths, like a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, they're not as common. And the truth is, kids who are growing up today, I can't remember the stats, so I don't want to give you the wrong one, but something like well over half of all the jobs that are going to be available to them don't even exist yeah, today. Yeah, I've heard that. Right? Yeah. I can't remember the, the stat, but it's a lot. And and so, so what does that mean? Big picture, what it means is it's more important to have these soft skills, these transferable skills, and then the workplace can um, teach you any of the specific skills that you need related to uh, yeah. the subject matter of your area. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, interesting. So going back to sort of job applications and highlights, we've discussed sort of getting a job coming out of college. Now let's talk about sort of grade performance and academic achievements. Now, the older you get, the sort of more irrelevant this is. But when you're coming straight out of university, there are certain sort of expectations that you have good grades for the job that you want to go for. What are your thoughts on like extracurriculars, internships, and these other kind of academic experiences? Do you think that they really impact the strength of someone's resume? Um, so the quick answer, of course, is yes, it does. Yep. Uh, but I guess I want to go back to the, the talk about marks and grades. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to be the top 10 person to get a job in life. Yeah. Um, I and not. I say that as someone who's middle-aged and has worked with so many different types of people, your marks are just one indicator of your, yeah. of your success in, in life. So if you're not at the top of the heap, don't sweat it. Um, I, I, the world needs all types of people. And um, sometimes I actually find people who had the highest marks aren't always the most adaptable in the workplace. Um, so, you know, I just, I feel like I need to put, put that out there yeah. uh, as we talk about the bigger picture here, because then you're talking about bringing in the extracurriculars. Uh, so certainly extracurriculars are important, but I also see padding in what people sometimes put on their resumes in terms of their extracurriculars because they think it will look good. Okay. And yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. So what do you mean by that? Well, um, when you look at a lot of, lot of resumes, you start to get a sense for the, how do I say this? The best resumes reveal something about the person. Okay. Uh, and, and so when you're painting a picture of your extracurriculars, what I want to see is the story. I want to see the story of you, not um, something that feels manufactured. Yeah. Uh, and so and what I mean by that is if you want to be, going back to your lawyer example, it would be great to see extracurriculars related to the type of law you wanted to do. The yeah. type of people that you wanted to work with. Yeah. Um, that to me is, that's wonderful extracurriculars. Um, okay. Or if you want to work, uh, you know, if you were on a sports team and you want to work in a team environment, uh, that's a great thing to highlight on a resume. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, great. That's good to know. All right. So, we're talking about sort of internships and extracurriculars and all these sort of experiences. When it comes to getting across your personality and showing, you know, like the the recruiter, something about you that sort of makes you stand out a little bit more, you're sort of a little bit, um, yeah, just getting across who you are. Are there, is there space to talk about sort of passions and interests? Do you think that's something that is worthwhile putting on a resume? Yeah, I think for sure, for sure. It tells something about the person um, when you talk about the passions that you follow, but it has to be sincere. And, and what I, I guess what I mean by that is it seems clear after a while when you're looking through a resume, if this is, 
if someone has written it for you or you've done it yourself um, yeah. to describe who you are. Yeah. And also think, keep in mind that the way you even design the resume tells me something about you. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So do you think it's worthwhile? Color. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was helping um, a guy who immigrated to Canada uh, um, recently from Afghanistan in terms of what that resume could look like, for example, yeah. here in Canada versus um, the other countries in which he had worked. And, uh, you know, one of the things is for the type of job he was applying for, uh, he's applying for, which is in graphic design, you want the use of color. You want something to express that um, you have an understanding and you have an eye for design. And, and that includes how you design your resume. Yeah. Oh, cool. So... Do you think it's worthwhile people sort of investing um, in using different sort of softwares to design their resumes or things like Canva or stuff, or is it just like yeah. a Word document is enough? Gosh, I have gone the full gamut of this from keeping it, you know, white piece of paper, only use black and do, do a 12 font Times New Roman. I've yeah. gone from that to um, at the point I think we're at, which is I think people want to be more expressive. Um, in terms of how they design their resumes. And Canva's a great source. Etsy, actually, you can get resumes off of there as well. Oh, right. oh cool. Designs, designs yeah. anyway. And of course, yeah. there's always Microsoft Word. But the thing with Microsoft Word docs is um, everyone's using them. So yeah. it doesn't look that <laughs> you know, when, when you get a lot of resumes, you're like, oh, I know which version he's using. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So... You mentioned before sort of having that padding and see, like you can tell if someone's written it or if they've, if they've had someone write mm -hmm. it for them. Um, and I just want to know, like, is it worthwhile or do you think you can tell if a resume has been written that is tailored to the job? Because I think we hear a lot about We're this telling. in terms of like tailoring your resume and your CV to the job that you want and making sure yeah. that everything kind of relates to that. Or should people just sort of be putting all their cards on the table no matter whether or not it's related? Well, I think what happens is people start the job hunt and they're willing to be um, specific in terms of their applications, like tailoring their CVs to every place they apply. And then if things don't happen in the timeframe that they're hoping for, they start throwing the spaghetti against the wall and sending out the same yeah. CVs <laughs> to every, every company. Yeah. So, um, and you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So the, the trouble with using the same resume again and again and not customizing it to the job you're applying for is, again, we come back to differentiating the person reading the resume, what I feel like sometimes is, does this person actually even want this job? Did they even look at what I put in my job description? Yes. Um, because the person who really cares is going to try and mimic some of the language that's used in the job description. They're going to mimic some of that language in the CV. Um, they will perhaps write a cover letter that addresses the key um, key needs within the job. And yeah. those are the ones I take more seriously because they're telling me they care, that they actually do want a job at my company. So now that we've had a pretty good overview of what job hunting looks like and what it's about, what would you say are your top three tips for the most effective like job hunting process? 
I think um, being clear on what you want is the main thing you need to yep. do. Yep. Everything else falls from there. But um, while it sounds obvious, when I talk to people, many times they're not clear on what they want. And so, so what happens is they look at a job board, they see a job posting and they say, oh, I think I could do that. I, I think I could do most of the stuff there. And so what's behind that is there's a reactivity. Um, they're trying to meld themselves to that job opening and not necessarily thinking, is this actually what I want? Yeah. And so um, my recommendation is to be clear on what you want, because then what happens is you're limiting the number of places you're applying to. So you're not wasting your time sending out 80 CVs a day. You might be doing eight. I'm just giving you numbers here, but you know, yeah. you're not, you're not sending out a time you're focused in that. It also helps you um, in terms of your networking. When you're telling people that you're looking for another job, when you know what you want, you can be really clear. Um, I really want a job in compensation and I want to work for an international company. Yeah. That's okay. really clear. People, they either have someone, something or they don't, but at least they know what you really want. Yeah. So that's the second part. And then the third part would be, again, it makes it easier to communicate your message. Whenever you're having conversations, when you're on social media, when things come up, um, when you know what you want, you become clearer in how you communicate it out. And that's more effective yeah. Yeah, in terms of definitely. job hiking. Yeah, definitely. I think what you've said is yeah, really accurate in terms of just making sure you understand, yeah, what you want and what you're looking for and kind of what your yeah. needs are. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this like idea of finding jobs that work with your lifestyle because I feel like this sort mm -hmm. of new generation that's coming through, it's less about, you know, fitting yourself to the job and more about finding the job that fits you and fits your lifestyle. How flexible do you think people should be and how like how willing do you think they should be when it comes to a job in terms of like, oh, maybe I can be a bit more flexible on the pay or the hours or that kind of stuff? Or do you think people should, you know, know exactly what they need and what they want and stay strict to that? So, T, are you talking about Gen Zs who are coming up in the workplace now? Is that the group yeah, sure. that you're... <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. So, with Gen Zs, um, and again, we're speaking on a macro level, they're, I find them quite different from millennials uh, as a group. So, mm -hmm. um, so what I find with uh, Gen Zs is, one, they're hard workers and they really like being in the office. I actually think they they want the experience of connecting and seeing how um, the business environment works. Uh, that's one of the things I've observed um, coming out of it, coming out of the pandemic. And it's been harder for them to start developing that network, to, to start developing those business relationships because there's been so much um, working from home, so much remote work which yeah. you still can connect, but everything takes longer when you're doing it, um, when you're doing it online. Yeah. Uh, it's not that you can't, it just, it takes longer. So um, I would say that for the Gen Zs who are coming into the workplace, what they're looking for is to find companies that align with their values and yeah. they're not willing to wait 
um, and see if the company is going to change. If the company doesn't um, match their values, they, they'll leave. Um, and there's no, even if they don't have another job, like that's how strongly they want to be working for companies that um, align with who and what they represent and, and, and the things that they're doing to the environment and the ways that they're giving back to the community. Yeah. Do you think that having those kind of ideals is too unrealistic sort of in like the job hunting world that we're in now or? No, I don't. Yeah. I, I totally understand what they're where they're coming from. Yeah. And what we need is a whole movement of people to be more like this. Um, have you heard of B corporations, for example? I don't think so. No. <laughs> well, I think I think it's an American uh, designation, but the last company I worked at had it. It's a very rigorous process to get uh, to become a certified B Corp. And it's about um, people, processes, and uh, the way you um, the the way you work and how it interacts with the environment uh, that oh, you're wow. minimizing. Okay. It's wonderful. So yeah. you know, for example, for job hunters, like for example, what I did in my last job hunt is I specifically went on the B Corp website to find companies that are B Corp certified because that aligned with my values. Yeah. Oh, that's um, so cool. And so yeah, yeah. So I think that I, I don't think it's unrealistic. I think there's nothing wrong with having values. Um, I think, I think companies say that they have values. Uh, all companies these days, all companies have values, and they're fully integrated. I say this as an HR person: you're, it's fully integrated into performance management and all these other aspects. And hiring, when I'm hiring someone, for example, I'm looking and asking questions to find out if they have the values that we're looking for as well. So it's actually, it's actually a two-way street yeah. um, for the person applying and for, for me as well as the as the recruiter, I want to make sure that there's a match there. Yeah. Because otherwise okay, you're not going to fit in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you mentioned before sort of a practice that you do. So we're going to go into the practice habit debrief section of the show now. So this is essentially where we ask the experts what it is that they do um, personally that sort of helps them, for example, be more effective at job hunting. So what is something that you do, Laura, like when you're looking for a job, when you were hunting for a job, what was something, what was a practice that you did to help you be more effective? I think for me, the best thing that I have learned is I come back to what I talked to earlier, getting clear on what I want. Um, I spent too many years uh, being that person, throwing the spaghetti against the wall and then getting frustrated that things weren't working out. Yeah. But that was not a recipe for success. So that's why I want to encourage people, don't do what I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I do what do what I learned later on in life. But if you could save yourself that time and do it from the outset, you're so much farther ahead. Yeah. So, how do you get clear on what you want? Um, it starts with knowing who you are. Yeah. Uh, so, some of the practices that I do that help me figure out who I am um, is identifying what my values are. Um, I do something called morning pages. Do you do you know what morning? Have you heard of morning pages? I like journaling. Uh, Julia Cameron. Okay. So okay, this no. woman wrote a book. Um, I think she wrote it in the nineties, like 92 and millions of people have done this uh, program. And her idea is to spark the creative process. And so what the idea is, 
every day, you, you start your day by writing three pages. That's your morning pages, three pages handwritten uh, every day. Okay. And so um, the idea is before you get into your day, before you have all the distractions, you're starting fresh because you can set the tone for your day versus a reflection. Like if you do a diary at nighttime, you can only reflect yeah. on what's already happened. Yeah. Um, in the morning, you can anticipate. So this comes back to prioritizing um, and getting clear about what you want. When you start the day like that, um, you, you move forward with more direction as yeah. opposed to aimlessness. So is it just so, like three pages of like writing like your feelings and thoughts and whatever it is, or is there like specific sort of actions? Yeah. So she has a book, it's called The Artist's Way. Uh, and so it's a 12 week program. Um, and then I, I mean, I did, I did it a while ago, but I just kept it up afterwards. And the idea is really looking at every day. Uh, what do I want more of? What do I want less of? What am I feeling frustrated about? And it sounds silly, but the truth is you can only complain so much uh, when you're writing stuff out and eventually you start coming up with solutions through the actual act of writing because you got yeah, three right. pages that yeah. you're doing. Um, and it, it, how are time? I mean, it could be half an hour. It could be 45 minutes or an hour. It depends. Sometimes some days go fast and sometimes some days they don't. But her point is um, don't tie productivity with how you feel. Just yeah. do it. You just do it. Um, that's so, great. so that's the idea behind it. And, uh, to support that, uh, she has something called artist state, which is about filling the well, um, with new ideas, images, thoughts. And another way to look at it is to see it as when we talked at the beginning about relaxing and being playful, that's what we're getting at here is you need that yeah. time of not, uh, doing any thinking uh, or work definitely. to allow those connections to happen. Mm, yeah, definitely. I think you really need that downtime. And I really like that okay. doing it in the morning instead of at nighttime, because it yeah. does set the tone. Like you said, you've kind yeah. of allowed yourself um, to know how you're going to feel that day, what you want to accomplish, all that kind of stuff. But I want to ask, do you face any challenges when you do this practice? Yes, which I already touched on. And that is some days you just have nothing to say. <laughs> yeah, for three like, pages, that's a lot. And you're just like, like I, I, I feel good or I, I just, yeah. I'm empty. I'm empty. Yeah. And so what she says is to literally write, I have nothing to say. And you keep writing it until eventually a thought comes in, a thought comes yeah. in and you're back, you're back at it again. And yeah. it's again, another way of, um, of not tying, uh, what we talked about with productivity output, that whole discussion. Um, it's a way to move through it so you don't get stuck and how often do you do this every day every day oh yeah. my goodness yeah <laughs> I don't think Again, I i'm not trying to um i'm not an absolutist so you know uh i'm living in canada and we ski on the weekends oh, uh so nice. ski dates are super super busy so <laughs> on the weekends i'm not going to do it i i'm it's it's enough to get like all the gear out the door to yeah, go skiing. Oh um, I am not going to, you know, stress about writing an hour before I go out for a day of skiing. Yeah. yeah. So do you set up a certain time to do this or does it just sort of become a part of your... When you wake your... up. 
Yeah. Okay. So you have like yeah. a morning routine that sort of yep. surrounds this. I have yeah. a little nook. Uh huh. That oh, I only yes. use to do that writing. Oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And how do you think this practice impacts your productivity? That's huge. So one of the things I do as a career coach is I write a weekly newsletter. And oh, cool. I'm not going to lie. I was a little concerned before I started. Can I do this every single week? Um, can I be doing this newsletter? Which I've actually subsequently made a video version of it. And I also do a podcast of it. So oh, wow. <laughs> it, it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. But, um, but where does it start? It starts with the newsletter, which is the written. And doing these morning pages has helped me to see that um, I don't have to catastrophize it. I I just do it. It's like anything else. My creativity is not uh, dependent on my mood. I just do it. It's just a part of life. And the more you yeah. practice it, the easier it gets. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And do you combine this with another practice or is this some, like, is there something that you do to sort of improve the effects of it or? Well, the things I do are related to spirituality. Um, so I'm not sure that this is the audience for that, yeah. <laughs> but I would do other readings in the morning that, um, that support me uh, to kind of get me going in terms of my thoughts uh, from yeah, my morning right. pages. Oh, cool. Okay. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you for answering those questions. So we're going to go into some audience questions now. So I've got one here that asks, uh, what do you think is a presentation of yourself on social media? And do you think it's important when it comes to job searching? Yeah, I think that depends on what you're looking for. It's like that example I gave you of uh, the graphic designer. It is more important for a graphic designer to present something visually that's appealing than let's say a chemist who's applying for a job. Yeah. So I would say the video would be very advantageous in a medium in which you need to be presenting yourself regularly, for example. Um, but if if you're not, if you're someone who's, well, let's say is gonna do, do lab work, I don't see that there's a value associated with doing that. Yeah. Okay. Because I hear a lot about when it comes to people who are in marketing or social media, or they just want to work in communications and mm -hmm. having this pressure that like every aspect of your life has to reflect your passion for this, your capability. Like if they go onto your Instagram, are they going to see your work reflected in that? Do you think people need to consider having that upkeep or when it comes to social media in terms of it being able to reflect their capabilities or is that something more personal? Well, okay. So for social people who are working in social media and marketing, I would say doing an about me video, for example, would be more important than that. The chemist in the chemist yeah. example, yeah. um, because of the medium they've chosen to work in. Uh, and so the other part you were asking about was, um, just kind of like that image and perception, like, do they need to like be able to demonstrate their capabilities on social media? Like, let's say they're trying to 
like get a job as a social media coordinator for some kind of, you know, newspaper or something, does their personal social media need to reflect their capabilities as someone who can build followers and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yes. I would say in that instance, yes, because in this day and age, recruiters are going to be looking you up on your social media. And in particular, if you're applying for a social media job, what I want to see is that um, there's consistency between what you're telling me you can do and what I'm actually seeing. So um, in this age of social media, everyone looks each other, looks up people all the time. Uh, It's quite different from when I started. I, I, I mean, now with LinkedIn, everyone shares photographs. But when I started in HR... It was such a no-no. You would never, ever share a photograph of yourself when you're applying for a job. You would never do that. It would be considered, in fact, it would be considered discriminatory. Yeah. Okay. Um, But, you know, with LinkedIn, and now it's everywhere. And so for most people, when they're applying for a job, I will look up their social media profile just to see uh, what are the types of content that they're posting about. and in, in, in social, if someone applying for a social media job, I think that would be imp- that would be particularly important. The next question we have is: um, Do you consider social media as a place where you can find a job, or somewhere a potential employer can find you? Uh, yes, to both. Um, okay. Potential employers can find you through that, and uh, you can also find jobs through that as well. But just keep in mind that social media is like a job board. It's just one lens. Um, Depending on the social media tool that you're using, see it as um, looking at one job board versus another. You're only getting slices of what's available um, in terms of job opportunities. Yeah. What advice would you have when it comes to the actual looking for the job process and because there are all those different places and all those different mm-hmm. platforms that you can go to you look for a job there's seek indeed people use linkedin some people looking on social mm-hmm. media um, or directly on the work like the employer's website how should mm-hmm. people sort of tackle this because there's a lot to look at trying to narrow it down and sort of actually find what you're looking for and also not waste time what sort of advice do you have for people who are trying to sort of refine that process yeah well we've already talked about getting clear on what you want so let's start with that you're already clear on exactly the type of job you're looking for and now you just have to find it yeah the best way to find jobs is through people it's not going to be through a website. Um, it's not going to be through a job board and it's not going to be through social media. All of those are great tools and, and I'm not dissuading you from using them, but the best jobs are going to be from talking to somebody where you get a sense of what's the company they're working for? What's it like working there? Is this the type of place I want to work at? Um, and when you know what you want, cause you're clear on your own messaging, you're going to be, um, finding more alignment and therefore finding a job that actually suits you better over time. So I actually think the best way to find a job is through networking. 
Amazing. Well, that leads me nicely into our open mic section. So this is essentially the part of the show where the guests get to talk about anything that they're passionate about. It doesn't have to be related to the topic. So I'm going to hand it over to Laura now. What would you like to talk about? Well, I, I would just want to build on that discussion about networking. I think that it is the differentiator. And I know that there's a lot of anxiety around networking. Oh my People, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh my good gosh. I, 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 you know, I, I was asking and doing an informal poll to see people's perceptions of networking. And some of the stuff I heard was transactional, inauthentic, um, exhausting. Uh, and yeah. there's a lot of, Comes with a and, lot of baggage. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of baggage. And, and then you add to that the effects of the pandemic, where people were forced into isolation and didn't have time to practice these social skills and they, they, they've lost them somewhat. Um, it, there's a lot of angst around yeah. networking. And so as we start to re-engage, I, I do want to encourage people to look at this again because, because of everything I said, all these other tools to find jobs are just slices to get the whole picture, the only way you'll get the whole picture about a job in a company is by talking to someone who works there. Yeah. Hey, what's it I like know. working at your company? Like, is this something I'd be interested in doing? Like, what's the company culture like? Do they actually live their values or do they just talk about them once a year? Yeah. Like, that's the yeah, stuff definitely. you really want to know when you're applying for a, a, a job. Yeah. I and can definitely. You know, even if you're talking to a friend, even if you're talking to a friend who doesn't have, um, a job opportunity, what I have found is when you're clear on what you want, they may know somebody that comes up in a conversation they have yeah. that could recommend <laughs> you. So yeah, yeah, it's totally. not yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I've found a lot of my jobs that way in terms of just networking. And a lot of time it happens by accident, but the moments where I have done it on purpose, like mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, it has led to something and like networking mm -hmm. isn't always going to like, you know, you're not going to always have coffee with someone and then they're immediately going to offer you a job. Like that's, yeah. A lot of the time that's not how it works, but it is yeah. like you said, sort of having people know what you want and what you love and what you're looking for. And so when those kinds of things come up, they're like, oh, well, like Laura really likes mm -hmm. this and she really yeah. wants to do this. I'm going to yeah. give her a call and get her there. And I think that's really crucial. And I think sort of coming out of university, that is one of the most important sort of things that you hear a lot mm -hmm. about. And it can be sort of anxious and it can be a little bit scary, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be if you go and do it with a friend, like the way that I got one of my other jobs is I went to like a event with a friend that was for her because she's a musician, but I was like, oh, I'll go because yeah. I'm like a music journalist and ended up talking to someone who talked to someone who referred me and ended up getting this awesome job. Um, and it's cool. And it just happens like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it just happens naturally. Um, but mm -hmm. it is sort of about, yeah, knowing what you want and just having the confidence just to actually put yourself out there and having that self-esteem and believing in yourself. So, yeah, it's definitely an important, important aspect. I, I think if people understood that in the end, networking is simply about making connections. And ultimately, as humans, all we want to do is build relationships. That's what we're looking to do again and again is to build relationships and when you bring it down 
from the whole concept of networking to something more personal like that, um, it's more intimate and more accessible to think, I'm just looking to connect with one other person. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you can learn so much. Like I've learned so much just through networking from like meeting people who work in fields I'm interested in really? and sometimes you find out things where you're like oh it's probably not actually what I want to do and you can learn more yes. about that and right it really helps you yes. in terms of refining yes. so yeah for people listening if you're struggling in terms of figuring out kind of what you want what you're interested in then ask people who do it because yes. then you're going to learn kind of what it is and the hours and the lifestyle and all that kind Thank of you. stuff that comes with it. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for answering all of those questions. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thank you so much, Laura, for being here. It's been such a pleasure and we've learned so much. Oh, you're welcome. It was really fun. The time went like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so for those who want to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? They can check out my website, laurabarkercoaching.com. Amazing. Awesome. We'll have Laura's details um, and the link in the description below. Um, but thank you again so much, Laura, for being here. We've had such a great time. Um, and to our listeners, don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on. And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. You have been listening to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pp.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.